Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. want to talk to you about our sponsor bet online the month of june is heating up with tons of exciting sports action and bet online is where you can find it from basketball and hockey playoffs to baseball's marquee matchups including prop bets and futures i wonder if you can even place a bet perhaps on who's the next uh coach of the wizards that might be an interesting one but bet online has all the latest odds news and information for all of your online sports betting needs Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip-off, face-off, or first pitch, head on over to BetOnline and start playing today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And now let's start the show. Welcome into this week's Believe in Wizards. As always, I'm Matt. He's Larry. We're finally back in the same room here. Got our vacations out of the way, ready to to talk a little bit of Wizards basketball again. Larry, the big thing on every fan's mind, I think, is who will be the coach of the Washington Wizards next year? It's reported that Sam Cassell interviewed this past Tuesday. Wes Unsell Jr. interviewed Thursday. Some of the other names they've talked to, former Heat point guard Chris Quinn, I guess, who's been an assistant coach with them for a while. Ronald Norred, who... College basketball fans remember probably as the Butler point guard uh, when those Gordon Hayward teams made their run. Uh, let's see, a couple couple other names. Uh, Willie Green, former, uh, former 76er, a couple other NBA teams. Chris Fleming, an assistant coach with the Chicago Bulls, who also coaches the German national team. Scott Morrison, former Celt- or just most recently a Celtics assistant coach. Larry, any of those names that really stand out to you for, from that list? No, I, I think really for me, the, the names are the names. It's the information that's going to come with those guys. Okay. It's, you know, understanding, you know, we, we talk about how important or how unimportant a, a coach is with professional players. But I think it's very important because once you get down the line and you see when we get to the playoffs, of how important strategy is. So those names are, are, are good names, I think. But for, for me, it's more, you know, understanding, you know, the ins and outs of a coach versus quote unquote, the name of your, who you're trying to bring in. I think it's very important that you get a person uh, that has this foresight of, of where the game's going. With that, though, I thought one of the interesting things, Tommy Shepard said that they intended to have a long list of candidates and, and sort of do all their due diligence and bring everybody in. That seems a little less common to me for an NBA team to interview like 9, 10, 12 guys. Um, is, is that just something that maybe is sort of less uh, like obvious to fans and, and this is typical for teams to bring in that many people? Or, or do you think this is a little uh, unconventional? 
No, I, I think it's with there's a, there's a lot of talent out there, and I think it's it's good to do your due diligence early on. Um, you're in the process of bringing in, you know, that number of, of guys is, is not necessarily alarming to me because of you know everything that's pretty much been surrounding you know the the head coaching positions. So I think these guys want to make sure that they they do everything that they can to get the right person. Obviously, you know, things happen once someone gets the job. But, you know, it, it doesn't really alarm me that they're bringing in that number of candidates because there's some talented guys out there and, and females, for, for that matter. There's some talented people. Uh, so I think that they should look at all those opportunities for sure. And they have time. That was the next thing I was going to ask you about. Uh, Becky Hammond is one of the names that I, I thought we would hear mentioned uh, as a candidate for this job, but we have not thus far. How would that have gone over in your day? Like, would you think guys would have been receptive to to a female head coach 10, 15 years ago? No, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Not that it was any any real slight towards a female coach. It just wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't in the media. It wasn't in the space mm-hmm. as much. Um, I don't know if if females were were you know looking at those opportunities as 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 strong as they're looking at these opportunities now to actually coach men. But the world is different, and these opportunities, everything is evolving around us. And there's no reason why a female can't give her her information, her knowledge uh, to a group of men. And for me, I actually I run an elite camp uh, here in St. Louis, and obviously we weren't doing anything last year because of the pandemic. But I brought in female coaches to work with uh, high school athletes that were all males, mm-hmm. just because I understand that there's a track that these young players will have now that they'll see these women in the huddles and in the practice gyms and, and on the sidelines. So I wanted to get them acclimated to listening and, and taking direction from females as well. At our high school specifically, the the women's team was was dominant and the men's team wasn't particularly good. And, and they were always much more fundamentally sound than than any of the guys on the men's team. So I think there's, you know, if, if you know basketball, you know basketball. And hopefully we're, like you said, in an era where that that won't matter. Um, but, you know, given that, I, I am a little surprised that, that we haven't heard that name. Another name that we talked about earlier on the show was Darvin Ham, assistant coach for the Milwaukee Bucks. Obviously, their team is still playing in the playoffs, and and part of me wonders if maybe that's a name that they're, you know, holding out to be able to interview, and that could be one of the reasons why this is dragging on a little longer, I think, than than most folks uh, expected. But you know, you mentioned we've got time. Uh, NBA training camps start on September twenty eighth, so two and a half, three ish months away. At what point does that start to hurt the team, Larry? Like, is there a point in the summer where like? they really need to have somebody installed to be, you know, set up for next year? Well, I think you get close to draft time and you really want to understand the direction of your team. You want to understand what's needed Uh, in the draft. There's assuming there'll be trades that happen around the draft. You want to understand from your head coaching uh, staff, you know, from top to bottom, that's your general manager included, that you are making the right decisions and making the right choice. Uh, you, you just don't it's a an odd situation when you we have a player that a coach is not necessarily interested in coaching and mm-hmm. that completely happens in the NBA. So anytime you get a chance to to line those things up, you want to do, you know, do your best job to line those those things up. So having a coach in place uh, leading up to your draft process, I think, is is important. I, I couldn't agree with you more. You hear a couple examples every year of a, you know, a coaching staff or the analytics guys being split on which team the players should draft. And then 
shockingly, that rookie gets very little run in his first year uh, under under that head coach. And I think we've seen that in Washington a couple of times. So I, I'm with you. I think two weeks from now, if we still don't have a coach, I, I think I might start to get a little, little antsy about it. Apparently, one of the first things that Nate McMillan did when he was promoted to head coach uh, in Atlanta was sit Trey Young down and just say, look, you can no longer play the way you've been playing. Like you can't hunt assists. You at least have to like feign effort defensively. Like I don't, you know, I'm not asking you to lock anyone down, but like, you know, you have to, you have to do something uh, and try to get steals, whatever it is. And it seems like that's really worked, Larry. Does that only work because he's still young and impressionable and doesn't have a ton of leverage or you know, if if the right coach has the right message, can he do that with sort of any player? I think it's the right coach with the right message, uh, with the right support behind him. And that's not only, um, you know, the the front office, but also the players. And I also uh, read or heard that when Nate was having these conversations with Trey, it, yes, it was about the team, and yes, it was about his his coaching style and what he needed from Trey for them to be successful, and obviously for him to be successful as well, coaching that group. Mm-hmm. But it was also about his teammates, mm-hmm. and I know that it was a couple clips that he showed, you know, Trey where he was shooting the thirty five footer, you know, early in the shot clock, and he said, "Hey, look at the reaction of your teammates," and I think that that's going to resonate more with the player. Um, than what the coach is actually saying is how his teammates react uh, to his play, you know, whether it's good or bad. I think that that's what drives most players uh, to change is how, you know, their their peers that are on their team, the, the group that they're working with views them. And once I think he saw that, then that was enough. He has the ability. So him changing some of those small things uh, to make sure that his teammates are in a better space and help him, be more successful. I think that that's uh, the nature of, of how players are, you know, more adapt to to change what they're doing than, than not. I think there's some parallels here to, to our current situation in DC. And and some fans will say, how can a player be selfish if he's near the top in the league in assists or average double digit assists? But sometimes that's holding the ball too long, you know, and rather than advancing it or going for the hockey assist and, and trying to get that that assist yourself. So you're actually passing the ball, but doing it in sort of a, a selfish way. I'm not, I'm not saying that Russell Westbrook will do that. I don't need any mean DMs, but between he and, and Beal, the usage is so high. And we talked a lot about ball movement. And, you know, the Wizards were 27th in passes per game this year. I, I just don't think this team can be successful if they have another year where that's the case. Well, I think that's what the front office is for, to understand those trends. And obviously, this is Russell's first year sure. uh, with the Wizards, but he has a, a track record. Mm-hmm. So when you're bringing in a coach, you have to have someone that that can communicate that to, to his team and communicate that to two uh, major stars in the league of what's going to be the most productive way for them to play, but also for them to win. And I think all these stats can be padded. You know, these all of these stats can be padded. Uh, the one stat that matters the most is wins and losses. And I mean, that's what every coach is searching for is how can we get as many wins as possible? And you need the guys that are on your team that's leading the charge to, to buy in. And I think that that is a real conversation that, that the next coach is going to have when you look at, you know, the number of assists and, and the number of passes and the usage rate. 
Um, and just the style of play overall, I think that there's going to be things that need, you know, there's going to be conversations that need to be had uh, about, you know, the style of play in order to get everybody involved, but also maximize the talent uh, that you're putting out there on the court every night. Not to pick on this one person, I'm just throwing this out as an example, but like Ronald Norad is 31 years old. So he's three years older than Brad and actually younger than Russell Westbrook. How hard is it for someone like that as a first year head coach to come in and and try to reach these guys that that are on Hall of Fame tracks? It's about his personality. Mm-hmm. It's about his personality and his ability to connect with people. Um, the age is is something that, you know, it is what it is. I mean, I, you, you love to see talented guys, you know, move up in the ranks as fast as they can. So I wouldn't put, you know, age as something that really matters. But personality uh, and, and how he's able to connect with the players is, is going to be the most important. And, yes, age is going to factor into, you know, how they relate. Uh, being 31 is, you know, you're in the space of professional basketball players. So you you know what they know. You see what they see. Sure. And it's a matter of how do you communicate uh, from a different level to get your team in a position to win. And if, if, if you get buy-in from those guys, then they're going to love the fact that you're 31, you know, if, if you connect with them in the right way, as opposed to being 65. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I think that that's something that, that players can relate to. You want to see players that played in the league become coaches. And I think that that's part of the reason because they want to connect with someone that's, you know, closer in age or just similar in, in, in thought process. Yeah. I can understand where, where they're coming from and, you know, that's, that's harder to do. Like you said, with the guy that's older than your parents, probably. Uh, how will Neto talk during his exit interview about the thing that really turned their season around was that conversation that Westbrook and, and I guess also Beal helped facilitate about roles and every, like to a man, they've all talked about how that, that changed things for them, but that was also like two months into the season. And, and it still blows my mind now that that's not a thing that happened you know, before the year, maybe you cut them a little, you know, slack because it was a weird year and training came and stuff like that. But uh, if I'm the next coach coming in, like that's literally the first thing I'm doing. Maybe you take a few days to sort of see guys for your, you know, for yourself and, and get an understanding of what they can and can't do. But I would, I would be locking those roles down and then you give guys the opportunity to, to grow and expand from them. But do you see that as like a real priority for whoever comes in next? I do. I think it's to, to analyze and understand the, the players that you have and, and the situation uh, that you're that you're rolling into. Now, early on, you want to establish roles. Early on, you want to establish, um, you know, responsibilities. But you have to give it some time. You know, like you said, we were in a different position now with, without having, you know, a, a real training camp and preseason games to understand how your team thinks. And then you can insert you know, what you feel is best for the team because your thought process from from day one of seeing your your roster card is different from once you roll those guys out there and there's other people standing across from them ready to, sure. to, to snatch their head off. Um, you know, roles can change. But I think that next coach comes in, he, he gets a chance to uh, meet with his guys. Uh, obviously, he's going to watch film, but then he's going to get – a chance to get in the gym and let his players hear his voice and see how they react to certain situations, because that could be different mm-hmm. from how they reacted to a different coach. So you can't put someone in a box before you've actually had the chance to communicate with them and, and give your expectations of, of, of those players. And then that's how I would do it. I would obviously everybody has a clean slate. 
understanding what happened in the past and using that past to dictate how we move forward, um, you know, in the future. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you've heard a lot of fans say like, hey, we have to get a defensive minded coach in here. And and the Wizards finished 20th on defense this year, 29th year before, 27th year before that, uh, 15th in 27, 2018 and 20th in 2016, 2017. So uh, I, I wouldn't mind that. But uh, the offense, not super great either. I mean, we talked about ball movement 27th this year. They were somehow third the year before, but then 18th, 20th, and 29th years before that. Um, they're sort of perennially in the back half of the league in, in total movement. So, you know, how much distance or, or, you know, running around players are actually doing, trying to get open. Uh, so I think, honestly, just a coach that has a better offensive system for these guys, sort of a more modern uh, approach is equally as important. How hard is it, Larry, to find like you hear that this guy is a defensive minded coach or, or a Wes Unseld focuses on defense or whatever. How hard is it to get a guy that, that sort of is strong on both ends or is that what your assistants are for? Well, I think it's an offensive game. And a lot of times coaches, you know, have their personality that they want to, you know, have an imprint on, on how the game is played. So if they play the game and they were a player that was, you know, focused on defense more than offense. I think that that's something that they bring to the table. But this is an offensive game, and I think we talked about this really from day one is after watching the team play a, a few a few times is their offense really dictate their, dictates their defense. Yeah. And the amount of bad shots that they take, the amount of just bad possessions that they have put them at a disadvantage on the defensive end. And we just talked about it with, with Trey – um, in Atlanta, when you talk about, you know, his teammates watching him shoot a 35 footer and, you know, how it deflates them and their reaction to those shots. I think that happens with the Wizards is they're having bad offense and they're not excited to play defense. So I think if you sure up just sort of that action on the offensive end where there's continuity to what you're doing, I think that that's going to promote better defense. And yes, you do have to have someone that's on the staff that checks the temperature, understands, you know, from a defensive standpoint, um, how they can maximize the defensive mm -hmm. end. Yes, you need someone on your staff that is focused on trying to create concepts that could eliminate or to, to slow down what the offensive teams are doing. Because again, it, this is an offensive league. Uh, but defense, again, is, is the other side of the ball and very important. It, it just seems like defense at this point is like, can you make them slightly uncomfortable a couple times throughout the game? And and that seems to be what these better teams are are kind of are able to lock in and do. I'm usually not the most optimistic Wizards fan, so I'm going to go out of my lane here a little bit. Let's say they have the best possible offseason. They get the right coach. Beal adds some playmaking to his game. Russ, you know, locks down on the free throw shooting. Uh, Denny takes a jump. Rui takes a jump. And, you know, their draft pick works out really well. And uh, Tommy Shepard finds some diamonds in the rough. What's the ceiling for this team if everything sort of goes perfectly? Because I asked this specifically because Chris Bosch said on the jump, I want to say yesterday, that this Wizards team should be able to compete for championships with Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal. And I just don't see that with the crew that they have around them. And, and part of that is on the way they play as well. But again, if everything goes perfectly, do you see this team having 
any chance of even making like an Eastern Conference Finals? Well, I think right now, obviously, once you start the season out, championship is is the goal. That's that's on our wall. Where we are chasing the championship. But as a as a commentator or a media guy, you know, coming from from Chris Bosh, I think that that's I don't see that happening. I don't see that that's necessarily in in next year's future as far as to uh, competing for a championship, setting the building blocks, putting the pieces in place to again, make the playoffs and compete in the playoffs, I think that that's a good starting block. And as far as where we would want to see uh, the team next year, I think you're fighting in, to, in that mid position, like your five and your six. Mm-hmm. Um, that, five, six that five and six slot, I think, is something that the Wizards can chase because, again, our next step is to now chase some sort of home court advantage. And then that's going to push us up to, you know, four to the top, you know, one through four positions. And I think that that's a good track to take. Uh, if you're talking about one or two, I like to say three-year plan is to, you know, in three years, you have the ability to have that home court spot is, is what I would be uh, shooting for. And now for a quick break to hear about one of our sponsors. I've been trying to eat a little less red meat these days, so when I do eat something, I want it to be really good. And Moink meat is delicious. I love it, and you will too. So get Moink right now. Moink was founded by an eighth-generation farmer who was featured on Shark Tank. Host Kevin O'Leary said it's the best bacon he's ever tasted, and I agree. And Jamie Siminoff, creator of the Ring Doorbell, invested in Moink. So why do just four companies control 80% of the U.S. meat industry? Because big food crushes the little guy. And you can help change that with moinkbox.com. Join the Moink movement today. Go to moinkbox.com slash believe, B-L-E-A-V, right now. And listeners to this show get free bacon for a year with every box ordered. That's one year of the best bacon you'll ever taste, but for a limited time. Spelled moink, M-O-I-N-K, box.com slash believe, B-L-E-A-V. That's moinkbox.com slash believe. You won't regret it. And now back to the show. If you've got a team that seems very capable, at least on paper, of making like the second round of the playoffs, you know, you get a good matchup. Unfortunately, guys get injured. We've seen that a lot this year. Like teams make moves. So I don't think like a a playoff run is sort of off the table, but I wouldn't just be able to look at this team and say like that is a championship contender unless they got like extremely lucky somehow this offseason. Yeah, that, there's just too much that you need to see uh, from an acquisition player acquisition standpoint. How you know the players that are on the roster are going to be used uh, with the new coach. I mean, that that comment is is is, is almost outlandish. Uh, <laughs> you know, especially saying that yesterday. I, I just got to think that that's a guy that didn't watch a lot of Wizards basketball this year, and it just says like, oh, you know, look how much Beal scored, and Russ had triple doubles, so they've got to be good. Well, yeah, I think the greatness is there. I mean, we talk about a guy, you know, leading the league and scoring for a majority of the year, and then you got a guy that's averaging a triple-double. I mean, the greatness is there. So when you talk about the Wizards and you talk about, you know, those two players, I mean, that speaks of greatness, but I don't think that that speaks of, of a championship. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just speaking of Brad, he made third-team All-NBA this year. Uh, he's already posting some Instagram videos of, of him working on stuff, getting ready uh, for the Olympics, which we'll talk about here in a minute. But what should Brad be focusing on this offseason, Larry? Like, what's the one thing you want to see him having come back with next year that's like a new element to his game or refined part of his current game? 
Well, I think he has, uh, you know, a lot of the tools that he needs to be successful. It's now understanding what he's going to be asked to do and what coaching, you know, what's the style of play that he's going to play under, uh, you know, next year. So I think that for him, really understanding what he's going to be asked to do, he's a guy that's going to continue to work, um, continue to, I think, extend his range some. I think that that could be something that Brad uh, works on and, and brings to his game where he's not necessarily shooting, um, you know, shooting off the dribble as much maybe he's catching shooting from from distance more um and maybe that gives you know guys more opportunities to make plays with handling the basketball but for him I think he has everything in his game you want to always want to add range so you get into that Steph Curry Dame Lillard uh space and I think that that's something that Brad could definitely do yeah that's the exact thing same thing I would have pointed to as well obviously Brad was a high well in the 40s, a three-point shooter early in his career, dropped to low 30s this year. Um, so, you know, you've, you've got a 7 8% swing. I think that makes a difference when you're kind of the volume shooter that, that Brad is. So just given the lack of shooting on the rest of the roster, I, I think they need Brad to be a perimeter threat as well. So if, if he can kind of, like you said, push the range out even further and, and kind of spread the floor for some of these other guys, I, I think that would be huge for them. As we just alluded to, Bradley Beal named to the Olympic team, uh, as is uh, your godson here, Jason Tatum. So we got the St. Louis boys representing. How cool is that for for you to see as one of the uh, the OGs of St. Louis basketball? I think it's great, man. I think it's great. You know, obviously those guys have been in, in the USA basketball system for a while, and to have the ability to to go uh, and play in the Olympics. Uh, that's something that that's going to live in history. Obviously, their their NBA careers and things that they're doing now is is definitely you know going to be in the history books. But this is um this is a world sport. I mean, this is a world event where you know the best of the best are at, and they've been selected to go and represent their country. And I know that those guys take great pride in in who they are and where they come from. So elevating that up to you know playing for your country, I think that that's a whole another ball game. I'm definitely happy and proud for those guys. Don't have enough words to, to to pass along to those guys because I know how hard they work. But just extremely proud that they can go out not only represent themselves, their families, uh, but also represent the city of St. Louis. and And those guys come from the same high school, so um, you know St. Louis is doing something something right somewhere. Something good in the water. Uh, I would have to go back and fact check this, but just on first thought or glance here, I don't think there's ever been a Washington bullet or wizard on an Olympic roster. So uh, that's, that's even pretty cool for us locally that, that Brad's sort of been able to, to take that jump and, and get that recognition. Do you hear a lot about these teams being sort of recruiting beds for these guys and where these super teams start to formulate? Larry, do you think it's more likely that Brad recruits someone else from this team to join him in future seasons or the other way around? I think it's, it has to do with flexibility. I think Brad is in a good situation in D.C. I mean, the fans are great. Um, the facilities are great. Things that happen, you know, outside of the basketball, the, the different culture things that, that D.C. allows, the location uh, of, of where the team is at. I mean, all of those things play in, into Brad's favor. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you want to have, you know, the wins uh, support, you know, his his message. But, you know, that's a great situation to be in and, and – have the ability to come and play with an all-star and all NBA player uh, that are probably a couple pieces away uh, from really making, you know, runs and really going deep into the playoffs. I think that that's something that he has in, in his pocket that he can use. So I would say 
you know, Brad is in a great situation to bring bring players or talk with players about coming to play in D.C. because of the things that happen inside of, of the Wizards organization, but also the environment, you know, in which in which the Wizards are, are, are at. I mean, I think that that's a great place to be. You hear a good amount of fans talk about Jeremy Grant as kind of a name that the that fans have latched onto as somebody the Wizards might be able to go out and get. You know, Detroit seems destined for a rebound or, or a rebuild, sorry. And, uh, you know, he's local, his local ties and, and how he's been named to that team. So I, I think that's one everybody's going to keep an eye out for how they look and maybe their minutes together and, and things like that. They're just looking at this team overall. They've got Damian Lillard. They've got Kevin Durant. They've got Draymond Green. How do you think that team, you know, looks uh, going into the Olympics here? Oh, they're, they're solid, man. Uh, solid. They have offensive players. They have shooters. They have toughness. Uh, they have length with the guys that that play uh, the guard position. You got KD. You got Jay Tatum, who can obviously in an in international game, they're going to be able to guard, you know, one through five. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also have the ability to take advantage of, of anyone on the offensive end. So I look for those guys. Obviously, I don't think that they'll have any tough matchups till later on that will really challenge them. But you know, I think that this team can be be really successful with the the talent that they put out on the court. There's been some sort of pushback from fans about Kevin Love sort of locking down that last spot. You know, granted he's not been the same player he was a couple of years ago, and is sort of been out of, I think, the public consciousness for the last couple of years. Uh, but the team sort of liked the way his game fit the international style and things like that, wanted to stretch big. He's been in the system. Do you have any problem with him being kind of one of the last guys on that roster? No, uh, Kevin Love works. Uh, Kevin Love, before, obviously, you know, Bron leaving Cleveland, his profile took a, took a huge hit sure. uh, as well. But Kevin Love is a passer. Uh, he can defend, um, you know, inside of the painted area. And I think that he's an asset to have when you have that many offensive players, uh, you're playing the international game, to have a big guy that with that can also shoot the basketball, but definitely pass the basketball as well. Uh, and a veteran who's not going to demand a bunch of minutes, not going to complain about, um, you know, trying to up his profile, you know, with USA basketball, he's just going to go out there and play. I think that that was a good pickup for the mix of guys that they have on the team. I think there's always one or two guys every year, too, that's not necessarily the best player, but he just sort of fills a particular role. Like you see Tayshaun Prince has made a team, you know, in past years and things like that. And I don't think anyone would have said he was a top 10 player in the league. So I don't really see that as being an issue. Uh, There's probably worse things that we could all get uh, fired up about. But yeah, we we don't call them the dream team anymore. Right. Right. So it is an actual collection of of players that that kind of fit together. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily you know, that sort of situation like it was before, like where you had to have, you know, every top player in his position, you know, go and play in the Olympics. It's a little different situation now. Yeah. I mean, somebody's got to not shoot the ball and be okay with it. And that's kind of what the conversation you probably have to have in advance with some of these guys too. If Hey, you're going to be on the squad, but uh, don't expect to be the highest usage guy, things like that. Larry, just staying with another international uh, player here for a minute, Denny Avdia. I think the Wizards are hoping that he'll be ready to play in Summer League, which starts on August 8th. Uh, As someone who played a Summer League themselves early in their career, how important are those reps for a young player? Uh, For me, it was huge. And it was for me, it was even more of a like a gift and a curse. So (laughs) we had our, our lockout and we didn't have Summer League. So we had the Summer League the next season and we played it in Boston. And I mean, I, I killed, 
I mean, I, I was in shape. I was ready to go. So I thought that that was going to get me on the court in Philadelphia and make me a starter or just give me more minutes. And I was a little bit wrong for that. But the experience of summer league, it allowed me again to understand that I can play in the NBA under NBA uh, rules um, against you know, other NBA you know, players or prospects that were, were coming up. And again, it was just gave me an opportunity being a, a guy, you know, new into the league to go and ours, ours was in Boston. So travel to Boston and, and, you know, stay in the hotel and kind of start to go through that process of, of learning what the NBA life is about, because I didn't have that uh, my first uh, year in the league because of the lockout. So playing in the summer league, man, it was, it was great for me. It did wonders for me. Uh, gave me a, a ton of confidence to take it back to, to, to the other guys to show what I can do and had a very great, you know, very good experience, uh, you know, in, in, with summer league. I think that show the other guys what you can do piece is what I would most like to see for Denny Avdia. You know, we talked about his playmaking ability at his size being one of the things that that got him drafted where he got drafted. And, and he didn't really get a chance to show that much with this team. He was going to, you know, put in the corner a, a good amount. So Will his teammates look at that experience if he's, you know, point forward and things like that and throwing half court passes and and like actually say, oh, shit, we got to empower him more? Or do they say eh, it's just summer league that doesn't translate? No, I, I think you have to respect that. I think you have to respect that uh, if a guy is going out and he's actually, you know, making plays and, and showing mm-hmm. that that he can compete. I think that that's what the veterans, I think it's their job to make sure that he comes back and understands that he should try to do those things within the veteran camp or within, you know, the, the, the regular team. For me, it's like, if, if you go out and you compete and there's a pecking order within the NBA, there's a pecking order within your team. So there's just different responsibilities for every team. So when you're in the practice gym or when you're in summer league, it's a matter of, of going out and showing how good you are. It's not there's a guy or teammate that's getting more minutes. It's not necessarily going out to show how bad that player is or what you can do to that player. I think it's the it's the player's job to show how good they are. And then and then that's how I feel players respect a guy's work and what he's doing when that player goes out to to their main goal is to show you how good that they are. It's not it has nothing to do with anybody else on the team. It's them going out showing how good that they are, I think that that translates better to the team environment than, than anything else. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I'd also like to see Cassius Winston get some minutes. We didn't really get a good look at him this year, I don't think. And most likely you're not going to have both Ish Smith and Howell Neto back. You might realistically not have either of them back, depending on how this sort of offseason plays out. So there might be an opportunity there for Cassius Winston to show he's made some some strides in his game and, and actually, you know, be that third point guard uh, next year. So hopefully he's, he's ready to go keeping with younger players and, and they'll have somebody, you know, someone else of, of note on that um, summer league team with their, their 15th pick in the draft, assuming they don't trade it. The draft combine was held recently. First question, did you participate in the combine while you were there? And then if so, what's that experience like? Yeah, well, the, the combine for me, it wasn't – I didn't play at the combine. I'm not even sure if if that was a thing. Just uh, the testing then, but, and stuff. Yeah, but I did go through the, the testing in Chicago. Um, and the killer for me was the the dreaded treadmill test um, that, I mean, we spent weeks and weeks preparing for. What's the treadmill uh, test? 
Well, you, you get on the treadmill and you basically stay on there as, as long as you can. Oh, geez. Okay. You stay on there as long as you can. It's, it's to, you know, test your endurance, but mm -hmm. also test, you know, how fast, you know, you can get your heart rate back down to, sure. you know, to baseline. And I think that that was something that was really, really important. Um, you know, back then, I don't, for whatever reason, it was, it was very important to see how fast your heart rate, you know, <laughs> got back down to, to whatever level that it was before you started. But that experience for me was fun. I mean, I was able to go and get tested. I was able to, to see um, these players that were supposed to be top guys. I mean, they were all at the combine. I mean, I was a, a freshman uh, from St. Louis University and you had guys from, you know, Michigan and UCLA and sure. Arizona um, so for me, I was just throwing myself in that hat and had a really good experience just just going through that process. As an athletic guy, too, you were probably coming in there feeling pretty good about your ability to do well in a lot of that testing, I would imagine. Oh, yeah, because I worked. I worked at it. Uh, obviously, having a good agent and understanding what the process is, you know, having an agent that can call and understand what the testing is, you know, how many mm -hmm. minutes this lasts or what is – what are you guys looking for, um, you know, with this test or with that test and really just preparing, um, you know, taking little quizzes up until it was time to, to really go to the combine and be ready and prepare for it. Uh, but I felt like I did a really good job of just being in shape and, and understanding uh, what I was there and what I was meant to do. And, you know, ended up the eighth pick. So I didn't I didn't turn too many heads uh, away, you know, once I got to the to the combine. I would say it worked out pretty well. Uh, how how much of that process was was interview based back then? Did they do team interviews there yet? No, no, Joe. I, I don't remember doing any sort of team interviews or, or meeting with any teams. I think mm -hmm. it was it was just really more NBA staff and and mm -hmm. you know, testing and doctors of you know understanding X rays from being in college and seeing what sort of injuries that you had and what, where they can kind of pick and poke at you. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't remember any sort of um, uh, team. Uh, interviews. We'll do some more detailed draft coverage over the next month here, but any name specifically, Larry, or position or anything like that, that, that sort of caught your eye through all this stuff that that's getting thrown out post combine and things like that. Not really. Uh, the combine, how it's done now is it's really um, stagnant or it's, it's really just choppy. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's kind of tough to follow. You know, the players that are considered, you know, first round picks or second round picks, there's a lot of players that are that are dumped into this fold. I think it's like 400 players for like 60 spots or something crazy like that. So it's it's hard to to really identify uh, those players that are going to be the best fit. I mean, mm -hmm. you can go with names, you can go with universities, but uh, if, if I'm a scout and I'm working for an organization, um, I'm really looking for what people aren't looking for. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of talent. I think wings, you know, guys that are in that 6'7", six, 6'10", uh, space that can handle the basketball, shoot the basketball, uh, may not be from a, um, you know, one of the prominent universities, but has game and has skill uh, to compete. So those are the players that I, that I would start to identify. Uh, and then over these next, over the next week or so, I'll kind of start to look at, uh, where guys have kind of filtered in or guys that have, that have dropped off due to going back to school uh, and, and not staying in the draft. Uh, and then I'll have some better answers for you as far as to players that are that are in the lights, but players that I think that are outside of the lights that would, would make a huge difference. Yeah, that'd be awesome. The, the one I heard that I, I kind of liked was Eve Pons from Tennessee. 
not much of a shooter or, or really a, a scorer um, in his college career, but just like a big physical wing uh, that, that would add some instant toughness. I think, you know, like he's got like a grown man body already. Like, I don't think you'd need him to put on 25 pounds to be able to play. And he's a guy that might not get drafted. So I thought that was interesting that the wizards are already talking to players like that. And I, I think that sounds like they're trying to do exactly what you're, what you're recommending there. Yeah, that, that, that's the move. I mean, that, that's the move. If you don't have to necessarily waste the draft pick, and I don't want to, you, you know, somebody's getting drafted. And so you maybe wasting is the wrong word. But if you can, if you could bring these guys in in a situation where they're coming to camp mm-hmm. and you didn't necessarily have to use a draft pick. So the expectations are a little bit different. Uh, the mentality is a little bit different. I think that you can get, you know, gain some traction that way, too. Wizards also do not have a second round pick this year. They could always trade back into the second round or, or buy a second round pick, I guess. But uh, yeah, I think finding somebody on the fringes or the margins like that uh, is going to be really important. And this seems like a good draft to do that. Uh, Larry, when you were in D.C., were there any guys that that were your rookies that you mentored? I, I can't remember if I've asked you this or not. Uh, I, had, I had Juan uh, Dixon, okay. uh, Steve Blake. Uh, these were all guys that, that you know that came in. You know, my year Jarvis. I think Jarvis was a Jarvis was a rookie. Mm-hmm. I think Jarvis was a rookie. Um, you know, while, while I was there, yeah. But these guys were were coming in, and the two Maryland guys came in and had a really good understanding of what it takes to be a professional. And then it was just like talking to those guys about the lifestyle of the NBA. That's cool. Uh, all the Terps fans out there listening, I'm, I'm sure that was a a nice moment there. Uh, all right, Larry, I think that was the majority of stuff I had for you here today. Anything you want to touch on? Any any NBA Finals predictions before we get out of here? No, I think the NBA Finals, um, hopefully, you know, you got the bodies that you need to, to, to have a good series. Um, you want to, you definitely want to have health. I think the competition within, you know, the, the playoffs this year, obviously there was some, there was some sweeps and there was some, some four to ones. But overall, the, the playoffs have been, you know, a, a joy to watch. And I found myself, you know, even watching some of the West Coast games when I'm usually, you know, tapping out, you know, first quarter or, or definitely before halftime. But the competition is so high, man, that I just I'm tuned in and locked in. So just shout out to these guys, man, for continuing to fight through, um, you know, the COVID situation, you know, to fight through uh, injuries and all of that stuff to give out and put out a good product that we can all talk about. We can all follow, you know, we can all be you know, the, the, the Monday morning uh, quarterbacks, um, you know, for the NBA playoffs, man, it's been, it's been great to watch. The NBA said that there weren't more injuries this year than any other year, but it seems like maybe it's more high profile guys suffering those injuries and, and reasonably serious ones. Again, like it seems like Giannis avoided an ACL tear, but that looked pretty bad in the moment. You can't convince me Larry, that this isn't like a cumulative effect from just like a long grind of a season. Am I crazy? No, no, it, it is. I mean, it is. You think even when guys get injured and during the, the old regular days, you had days in between games. Or so yeah. so now guys are getting injured with a sprained angle. They miss six games. Yeah. It's because the games that they were coming so fast that you just missed those games because they were coming so fast. And then your recovery time to, to get back out on the court is different because the games are coming so fast. And if you don't push your recovery – then you're going to miss even more games. So I think it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's a revolving door sort of thing. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's happening because it's happening. These injuries are happening because the games are coming so fast 
and the season was condensed and there's not a lot of time for these guys to a recover from the, the night before, but also, and then also B recover from anything that's, that's bothering them, uh, you know, injury related. I don't know about you, but I just needed a little bit of time to recover after covering the regular season. So I, I can't imagine how uh, these guys uh, are, are doing it grinding out there every night. As always, folks, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Send us your questions, anything you want us to talk about over the next couple of weeks, and we will make sure to cover that. ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done